What's this background? Where are we at? We're in the Hollywood Hills. I found a quaint little area. Quaint little spot. (laughs) (laughs) I found a lovely little nook up here in the cut. And um, Uh I'm thoroughly enjoying myself here. It It says here in my bio that you are from, you didn't grow up with a lot. Like you weren't rich. Like it says here that you quickly uh, ascended in terms of finances when you start playing. Uh, I, 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 for some reasons, the bougie just fits well on you. Have you, have, have that, has, what happened? I mean, this quick nook, settling, little I'm nook. Lie, Carrie. I've been settling into this bougie-ness for quite some time now. Coming up, it's Victor Cruz, my friend. We're getting silly on this edition of Naked. Black Tech Green Money isn't just about telling the stories of successful black entrepreneurs. It's also about giving actionable and wealth building strategies that help you protect the future of our communities. That's why we're pleased to be supported by State Farm Insurance. State Farm also believes that we must invest in our communities to achieve economic growth by sponsoring programs like the AXO, which rewards high school students for their academic achievements. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bed 365 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. comfortable with it but he is my friend and I adore him he can do no wrong at least in my eyes I consider him a friend um as you know working in the world of sports which is my 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 base where I came from you meet a lot of different people and I have nothing but great things to say about Victor I can't say that I would give those very effusive praise reports for everyone but for him he definitely deserves it victor michael cruz born november 11th 1986 played in the nfl he went to umass he signed with the new york giants as an undrafted free agent in 2010 Uh, he won a super bowl super bowl 46 in 2012 against the new england patriots he was known for doing the salsa in the end zone and he was just one of a kind victor in his own right um, is a legend because of what he was able to achieve it's hard to make it in new york city i'm not going to start singing but you know what that means if you can make it any okay That's not even how it goes. But the point is, is that Victor 
um, is a legend, not only with the Giants, that organization, that great organization, but within the city, he's become a socialite. Uh, Victor has branched off into entertainment. He is into the arts. He's a he's an entrepreneur, if you will. Um, but as he said, he settled into this bougie life. <laughs> and I am okay with that because his story is one of a young kid who grew up in Patterson, New Jersey. His father, Michael Walker, was a firefighter. His mother, Puerto Rican-born Bianca Cruz, uh, she was just a really sweet and loving, still is, mother to him. And I think that what they were able to do for Victor is give him hope, give him an opportunity, give him chances to see beyond just living in Patterson. You know, anybody been in Patterson? I haven't, but Victor describes Patterson as an area where it was hood, gangs and drugs. It was so easy to make simple choices that would not have led to his success, but he chose to do the right thing. And as a result, today he is on this podcast sharing his story, um, and he's so damn charming and so funny, and I always like to share a story about folks that I know. Here go my story. You ready? Here we go. Victor, the very first time that I met him, he was with one of my agents and he's not my agent anymore but he's still in the family and my agent was mad at me about something that had nothing to do with anything really and Victor shout out to Carlos we love you um and Victor was there and he was quiet and he was just minding his business and he didn't want to get into it and he was just quiet and I remember thinking oh I like the way he moves I'm not getting involved this is none of my business quiet (laughs) and that is how he has been he's quiet He's kind. Look, he's not perfect. Look, no one's perfect. But for the most part, his heart is always in the right place. And from that moment on, that one moment where we were at All-Star probably, I thought to myself, I appreciate him not being extra. And he could have been extra because he was this superstar whiteout for the Giants. And he was just, let me mind my business. Hey, you do your thing. I'm not trying to show you I'm Victor Cruz and I do the salsa and end zone. And I thought, what a good guy. And since then, we've been able to work together. We worked together on the Titan Games on NBC, which is a show that I did with The Rock. Um, And Victor clearly was a standout star. Some people walk in the room and they have just this infectious personality and everyone is drawn to them. All the ladies on the set had a crush. They was trying to talk to him and take pictures. And he's just as nice. And he's also pretending that he doesn't know that everybody has a crush on him. That's another great thing, although he knows. So throughout this entire podcast, I want you guys to hear the raw, unedited version where you can really get into who he is and get a sense of his personality. I felt as if I decided to edit this, you wouldn't get the jokes, like they'd lose context. And I want you to understand more about Victor and how he has really left football and not only just decided to get into the broadcasting business, but the entertainment, the arts the, the all the areas, the fitness lines, everything, he's taking over in every aspect. And I appreciate that because a lot of athletes, once they retire, don't look at the afterlife and what could be. And not only does he talk about what could be, he gets into his personal life in Dayton. He's very picky. So ladies, if you want to holler at him and one of your nails isn't right, I don't know what to tell you. Or if your toenails aren't looking good, I don't know what to tell you. He that guy. He that guy that you got to wake up in the morning, go put your makeup on and get cute. (laughs) Sit back, relax. This is a funny, funny, naked. Victor Cruz gets naked. 
it says here in my bio that you are from you didn't grow up with a lot like you weren't rich like it says here that you quickly uh, ascended in terms of finances when you started playing uh, i i i for some reasons the bougie just fits well on you have you have have that has what happened i mean this quick nook settling, this little nook I, Carrie, i've been settling into this bougie-ness for quite some time now and it wasn't until about 34, which is where I am right now, I'm really cozy. I'm really comfortable in this space. Because there is, there's levels to this. And I mean, everything about you is bougie now, Victor. And I thought you were just a kid from the hood who was just happy to get drafted. What, when did that change? That kid's still there. He's just deeply embedded in there. That's the essence. That's, where the, that's the core of him. But, uh, but the other guy's still, you know, is with... with experience and with time and with travel and with you know different things that my eyes have seen Mm -hmm. the the lap of luxury just seems to fit it just fits we're catching up with you in los angeles what are you doing here oh i'm here working i'm doing some stuff with e-news on their uh on their daily talk shows on daily pop as well as nightly pop so i'm here just you know working taking meetings doing my thing trying to do the, the la thing and and uh you know, in the entertainment space, L.A. is just a lot busier than it is in New York right now. Things are open. Sets are open. Yeah. Be on set, moving around. So I'm just here taking advantage of those things. Um, now, when someone such as yourself with the name, some money, visibility, fame, you know, when you come to a place like L.A., is it hard to just walk around the streets without being recognized and women wanting to say hey and such and things of that nature? Yeah, I mean, it happens, and, and um, you know, you take it for what it is. You, I, I always understood it. I always understood what it was. And it's always fun when you uh, do these man-on-the-street segments for, like, E and stuff like that, and I'm out there. And even with a mask on, I'm like, man, I could be incognito. I'm just chilling. Mm-hmm. I got my mask on, and I, like, I got new hair, so people don't really know. Don't really know it's me sometimes, but, mm-hmm. you know, as soon as I talk or they'll see the sneakers, it's usually a sneaker thing, too, Carrie. They, they look at the sneakers, and they look up, mm-hmm. and they're like, Nah, that's got to be Vic. Like, I don't know who this guy is, but... There are several things about you I don't like, but I love all at once. Can I tell you? <laughs> Please tell me. I'm dying to know. We're going to get into the transition out of football, but you do the level of conceit and bouginess, but still, but still the humility and the down-to-earthness, it's a wonderful recipe. And this is why you're my friend. But you are, you are bougie. And you are conceited. And I don't know how to manage both because you make me laugh because you're aware of all those things, all those things, but you're still so nice to everyone that you come in contact with. How does that work? I don't know. You know, it's crazy. That's the first time anyone's ever like, you know, described me like that. And I think it's a spot on. (laughs) 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 No, I think it's. I just think, you know, it, there's a sense of humility, man. I come from a place of, like, my grandmother used to yell at me from a window and come down when I didn't come up and whoop me with a belt. Like, that's where I come from. So, like, that always grounds me. My day one homies don't care about none of this Hollywood stuff. Like, they want me to be the same dude that I was coming out of grammar school when school was out and we, you know, going to the crib to play Sega and Nintendo and play in the crib. You know what I mean? So... That's the that's always the anchor that keeps me on the ground. But all the other stuff is just things that I've picked up along the way that just <laughs> stuck. And um, and here we are today. 
<laughs> and with that, everybody, welcome to Naked. This is Victor Cruz. I love him so much. Clearly, we're friends. And so I, I, I'm having some fun with him. And he's, he's I mean, low-key bougie, low-key conceited. And you should be. I mean, damn, I'm fine. So why not? Let's just own it, you know? So, so, so here's my thing. Talk to me about how you grew up. You explain what your grandmother, you just said something I thought that was really interesting about your grandmother would, you know, yell out the window, I'm going to come get you. I'm very familiar with that too. Did you ever imagine the life that you have that you now fit so easily into? Um, <laughs> um, never. You know, I was, I grew up on a third, you know, three-story, four-story building at the top of it um, in like a small apartment with an upstairs that me and moms held down and then my grandparents were on the bottom level. And then there was a karate school underneath me on the third floor that I went to and actually became a black belt at the age of 12. Literally a karate school, like right downstairs from where I grew up. And then I grew up in a predominantly Spanish area, ton of Ecuadorian people, Colombians, Puerto Ricans, Dominicans, a melting pot of different ethnicities and cultures, all in this little corridor of Patterson, New Jersey. So I also grew up on a one-way street with like six boys all my age. So I had like the illest childhood, manhunt, tag, you know, pick up a tackle, <laughs> you know, wall ball. Like, we did everything out there, and we were like our own little community and our own little, like, family, if you will. So even to this day, we speak to all – I speak to all those dudes. Um, so it's just – you know, I had a, a, a real childhood, but with that came the other side of it. Like, right, when I moved when I was around 9, 10 years old, um, when my mother had my, had my younger sister, we moved to the other side of Patterson where I was closer to school, 21, in my grammar school. And uh, first week, we haven't even moved in yet. They came and stole our toaster. I'm like, damn, I don't steal the toaster, bro. Like, that's cold blooded. We got no bread in here yet. And y'all stole the toaster? That's cold blooded. Yeah, that's cold blooded. But, uh, but th- you know, things like that, like, that really had me, like, nervous. Like, as a kid, I'm 10 years old, 9 years old. And you telling me somebody broke in and took the toaster? Like, I don't feel, how, how am I supposed to feel safe going to sleep in there tonight? You know what I mean? Like, so it's just little things like that that, that you kind of go through as a kid to develop a hard shell. Um, but that's Patterson for you, man. You you have no choice but to develop that. So you, as you talked about your neighborhood, you you still have, I'm sure, still have a lot of neighborhood friends. And what I think I find most interesting is this: your transition from from when you knew you had it, right? So mm-hmm. that it is, it could be anything. For an athlete, usually it's when they knew that they were special, when they knew they had a talent, and people treated them differently for that talent. When was that for you? Well, it was kind of a, uh, it was kind of a two part thing. First one was in, in Little League, right? Like I was, it was my first time playing Little League. I had played like two games and I was playing center. I didn't really know what I was doing. Um, I understood the game, but I didn't know, you know, I'm not at center. I don't know what, it, what this is, like whatever. So my dad, God rest his soul, he was one of the assistant coaches and he was begging the head coach, like, yo, put him at running back one time. Give him the ball. Like, I promise you, he'll, he won't let you down. If he, you know, turns around and bumps into an offensive lineman and falls, then so be it. Um, but then, you know, they finally put me back there at fullback, 21 dive. I'll never forget it. They gave me the ball. And I, like, alluded to dudes and took it up the sideline, 65 yards for a touchdown. And I just remember my dad, I remember turning around, looking at the sideline, and my dad jumping up and down, like, I told you, I told you, I told you, going crazy. And I think that was a moment where it was like, Everyone kind of knew I had something special, and um, and then that that just snowballed into everything else throughout throughout the rest of that little league career, 
on the high school, college, and then so on and so forth. You graduate college, you went to UMass, right? Is that right. where you went? Mm-hmm. And you, and you, while you're in college, you have, how many moments do you have? How many good moments do you have where you think, oh, I'm definitely going to be in the league? Oh, man. I mean, there were moments throughout. I mean, and if anybody looks this up, I mean, I was ineligible the first two years, but I was always eligible during football season. So I would always be on the scout team for the other, for the, for our starting defense. And I'd be over there tearing them up. Freshman year, sophomore year. I'm not even eligible to play, but I'm out there on the practice field just giving them a look scout team wise. And I was like, to the point where they get mad and be like, yo, like, he don't need to be over here. Like, keep him over. he's not even eligible. Like, why is he over here? So it was just hilarious to see them get mad at me cooking them every every day. But um, it wasn't until junior, senior year where I was like, okay, now that I'm in live action, now that I understand the game speed and how I can, where I fit in within all of this, and then challenging myself at the next level once I got to the league and had that opportunity, I knew that it was going to take some work. But I knew that junior, senior year was like, I could do this. You know, I had the faith that in my ability that I could make it to the next level. So when did you know that you weren't going to be quote unquote drafted? Um, I think I knew that pretty early on. Like I knew, <laughs> <laughs> like I was real. I'm sorry. When did you know you weren't going to be drafted? Like that's crazy. Go ahead, tell me that part. <laughs> I didn't know they wasn't going to pick you. How do you know you weren't going to get picked? <laughs> um, nah, but I was real. Like I look at the draft, and especially back then in 20 what 2010 2011. I mean, you got guys like Calvin Johnson and Andre Johnson still in the league and all these different, like, big big body receivers. There was only a few, you know, I think Danny Amendola was running around. Julian Edelman was in the league at that time. And obviously, Wes Welkers of the world. But still, overall, the league was skewed towards that number one X receiver on the outside to be your main guy. Mm-hmm. And I knew that I was, you know, with, with Tim's on him, 6'1 and some change. Um I'm about 205 pounds on a good day. Um, but I was more quick than I was fast. But I, could, I, but I was able to create separation with my route running. And I knew that I, if I honed in on the route running and honed in on not dropping a pass and being a technician with the routes, I knew I'd have a decent shot. You make it to the league. Decent shot. Tell everybody who, because that for me is important. There are so many people with the same dream that you had and making that dream a reality is so difficult. And then even when you do get on the team, even if it's practice squad, then staying on the team. And then we all know the story. Then make, then making it to the Super Bowl and then winning a Super Bowl and being a star for one of the biggest franchises in the league. Like what? How does that even happen? But go back to the initial of I can get on a team and I can stay on a team and I can get a position. A yeah, roster spot. It was definitely... Um... I was just enjoying the ride. I just remember being, you know, in the moment and just enjoying every single day individually and enjoying every milestone. Like that first, obviously that rookie season when your phone doesn't ring on cut day and you're like, I made this team. You know what I mean? Like, I wish it was actually backwards. Like, call me if I made the team. Like, (laughs) every phone call, I'm just like, my phone is ringing. I'm like, my heart should stop. Like, I don't even want to look at it. You know what I'm saying? Like, call me if I made the team. That, that way I don't have to worry about it, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, um, but, I, but I remember just taking every bit, like, when I got the call, right, when, to join the Giants, and then when I didn't get cut and I made the team, okay, now I made the team, how do I stay on this team? Then I get hurt, so I get, you know, I'm down again. Now I get back again on the second year, I make the team again, another moment. So I was just making sure that, like, 
I take advantage of these moments. And then I still had a drop in week one from Eli and then didn't play the rest of the game after that drop. Then fast forward to week three, where they kind of don't have faith in me, but I'm the guy that's been there the longest. I know the playbook. Now you got to start me because we had some injuries in the wide receiver room. And then using that game as my platform to have three touchdowns, uh, three touchdowns, two touchdowns, three catches, 100 plus yards, like really have a, a coming out party, so to speak. Um, but if it was. What, what, what game was that? What game was that where you had your coming out party? That was the Philadelphia Eagles in week three of the 2011 season. Okay. And, and, and you guys, let me, let me just be clear. You talk about, you know, to me, I think getting, dropping a catch, your only one catch and they take you out of the game from Eli has to be detrimental. What were you doing off the field to stay mentally in the game? Just to just to be prepared, just to be ready. Because I would have been like, "That's it. Uh, oh, they done with me." It's done. It's Especially over. free agent, and then, and then they brought in Brandon Stokely after that. Yep. And then I was just like, "Oh yeah, my days. Are, I'm out of here at any point in time. <laughs> like done. Like the whole journey's done up until this moment." It was good. It was good while I lasted. <laughs> uh, appreciate you guys. I'm head on out. Um, but I think I I just uh, I, I reshaped my routine. I got in early, got on the jugs before everybody. I just wanted to, like, I, I had to make some changes in order to understand this is my profession. If I have a failure at any moment, it's up to me to fix it. No one else is going to fix this for me. No one else is going to put the work in or do the work. It's got to be up to me. So I started catching the ball earlier, coming out before practice, catching a couple of balls, envisioning that same route, run that same route. By the way, I've run that route a hundred times. To be honest, the sun was in my eyes, Carrie. That's why I dropped. <laughs> yeah, it's here, man. It's about honesty. This is naked, right? This is naked with Carrie Champion. It's about honesty <laughs> and transparency. Um, so, <laughs> so no yeah, but excuse. Cool. It hits you in the numbers, dog. No excuse. I'm it kidding. <laughs> it might have hit me in the face too. Like went through my hands, hit my face. <laughs> it was bad. It was bad, but. But, but you just but mentally you recovered. And to me, to me, one of the biggest and if not best qualities about you is that your mental, you stay so positive. And, and that's hard to do because I, I would assume you struggle with a lot. Like we all do because life is hard. How do you how do you stay up? How do you stay so positive? How do you stay so happy all the daggone time? I think it's just I think it's just my mindset, man. I just think it's like. I'll find the silver lining in, in, in any and everything or as soon as like problems come up or negatives come up, I just try to solve them. I just try to like think through them and sit on them as opposed to reacting. I think, I think before I used to just like react of everything and kind of panic or try to be, uh, try to solve everything quickly. But sometimes you got to let things play out and they play themselves out. And um, I just try to smile, man. Life's too short to just be angry. You spend more energy being angry and being upset at things then you do just being happy and smiling and letting certain things rub off your shoulder you know especially in this day and age it's hard to let things rub off your shoulder but like in the grand scheme of things when you think about it does it really matter you know what i mean yeah i mean if you look at it that way in the moment when it happens it seems devastating i you mentioned your father <clears throat> can we talk about that sure if you don't want to that's fine sure. okay I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm almost done with my therapy session, so we're all right. 
Good. <laughs> so I like it because this is helping me. It's therapy. Mm-hmm. You talked about how one of those defining moments is where your father jumped up in the stands and was like, I knew. I told y'all. I told y'all. And that had to be a beautiful moment for you. Talk about that relationship and how you were able to cope after you committed suicide. Yeah, it was a, it was a great relationship, I think. You know, it was... Uh, uh, initially it was a little different for me to kind of come around and like I met my father when I was seven like he came into my life fully when I was seven and it took me a while to get to know him and try to like you know build that rapport with him and I did I think by the time I like you know mid-teen years it's kind of when we started to see eye to eye excuse me and I started to kind of understand the points he was making as a as a father and the things that I had to learn as a son and as a and as a young man um, but he taught me the game of football. He taught, you know, I never forget him coming to the crib and like uh, asking me if I, you know, next to my mom, asking me if I wanted to play football. And I kind of looked up at her and she was like, he ain't asked me, he asked you. And I was like, all right, sure. Yeah, like I'll go play. And then I think that was the start of our bond because he taught me the game. He was around. He would pick me up every day. My brother and I, we would go to football practice. He would go to the store and feed me an inshore of V8 and a banana, which is probably the grossest combination. <laughs> Wait, tell me that again. What was the combo? It was a vanilla inshore <laughs> of V8. And, and not this before V8 Splash. Like, there was no V8 Splash. This is like tomato juice, fam, and a banana. And we'd be at, at full practice, like... But, well, why, but why that combination? We just feel like we needed our nutrients and vitamins. <laughs> Yo, he was, but by the way, that's something, now that I'm a dad, that's absolutely something I would do. Like, I tell Kennedy, like, yo, just hike up on some bananas. (laughs) (laughs) Like, you got golf practice, we need your stomach to be full so you can operate at a high, at optimal speed. You know what I'm saying? But my dad was such a legend, man, and I think I get a lot of this. No, it's funny, Carrie, I get a lot of this. You know, yours called me bougie. Um, But I think I get a lot of it from him. Like, he was... For example, this is the story of my dad, and you'll get exactly who he is in a nutshell. He had a baby blue uh, drop-top COK 320, right? Driving. He was also the dude that had no shirt on, hat to the back, sunglasses, Maurice Malone shorts, and Jordan on. Just painting the picture for you. He gets in the car. He has the car a couple months. Gets into an accident. Totals the car. He was okay, thankfully. Goes to the dealership the next day after he's after he totals it and gets the black one and drops the top and is driving around with a neck brace on with his outfit in the car. Like this is my this is my father, okay? Like so wait. Nobody was like so in the dealership, full neck brace. (laughs) But no one signing the no one no one's like, hey, so perhaps maybe that's not a good look or this was him. Should just lay down for a couple. Weeks. <laughs> and no, oh, that's. But also, it sounds like he has a great sense of humor. He had a great sense of humor, did he? Because yeah. is that you get a lot of your humor from him? I do. My mother's funny, but my dad has. I, I get a lot of the. Um, I mean, this is other people have said this. I'm just quoting them. The charm and the. Uh, <laughs> No, the the jar and the humor. The humor is all him. Like he was, he's hysterical. We always had a good time laughing with, with when he was around. I'm just quoting other people, Carrie. To me, 
I want to, if for our listeners, I need you to refer back to the beginning in which I said that this man is a combination of boozy, conceited, humbling, <laughs> humble, down to earth, all of it, all of it wrapped in one. You, you love to hate him, but you can't hate him because he's so sweet. <laughs> Other people have said this, Carrie. I'm just quoting them. I get my charm. You know, I'm charming, you know. Uh, <laughs> hey, that's what they say. <laughs> so <clears throat> did your father struggle with depression? You know, it's funny because I never really, if he did, he did a phenomenal job of hiding it from his kids. Um, now, did he get upset and was he in his feelings about certain things? I mean, he was a fireman for 30 plus years and then, and they ended up firing him from his job, which is what, it, you know, when you work somewhere for that long, it becomes your identity. It becomes a part of you. And I think that really hurt him in that moment. And I think he was trying to do a lot of things to get it back and to do different things to try to bring awareness around the things he felt uh, weren't right in, in the way that he was treated there. That I just think it, it just weighed on him so heavily amongst other things that I'm sure that I don't, you know, that I don't even know he was facing that led him to, you know, to take his own life. So it's just, you know, with that being said, it just always makes me think about like my mental health and my, what my inside voice is talking about and, 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 and meditating and challenging and, and same way I'm exercising my body, I exercise my brain and the way I think and the way that I process things because I've realized that your mental health is so volatile. It could go either way. You know, it's all about how you train your mind and the things you feed it. So I always just wanted to keep that in mind, especially after facing something as tragic as that at 20 years old, when I'm in the middle of flunking out of college twice at home in Patterson, taking online courses, it felt like the world was crashing down on me in that, in that exact moment. Um, but, but it was also a moment that once it, cause my grandfather passed away shortly after that. And once those two things happened, I kind of looked around and was like, Oh man, like I'm the only, I'm the man of the crib. It was my grandmother. It was my mother. It was my sister's. And my older brother on my father's side, but it was like, in my home, I'm the man of the family. So I had to make changes and kind of step my game up, essentially. And then that's when things started to click. I went back to college, ended up graduating with a 3.5 GPA, like just started balling. And, uh, and I credit that to kind of having those wake-me-up moments in, in the passing of some family members, you know? I would think, because I haven't lost anybody close to me yet, so I don't know, and I'm asking you. Like, I haven't lost a father, a mother, a grandmother. I don't know how to cope. I wouldn't even know how to begin to cope. You just do. At 20 years old, you get this call, or I'm assuming someone tells you, and what are your first thoughts? Well, I kind of just went blank. You know, like, I remember my brother calling me, and he was, like, you know, yelling that daddy died, daddy died, you know? And I still remember his voice because he was like frantic. I could hear it. I can still hear it to this day. And um, and I just remember just thinking like, well, like what? Like, what are you talking about? And he just kept repeating it. And every time he said it, it just made more and more sense. It was just hitting me more like in that moment. And I was like, wow, like he's for real. Like this isn't, you know, he's not joking around. This, this is a real thing. And I just remember thinking and I, all the moments that we shared flashed through my brain, every single one, like the ones I didn't even think I remembered, I'm just flashing through all those moments, you know what I mean? And, and it just, you know, it puts everything in perspective for you. It puts everything in that moment, everything shuts down, it stops. It leads you to know and understand just how beautiful a life is and just how much you really got to cherish these moments and cherish these, these times that you have with your parents and people because 
you just don't know when they'll be taken from you. You know, you just have no idea. My father was, what, 48 when he passed away, almost 50. Like, you just have, that's super young, you know what I mean? And the part that kind of hurts me the most, I mean, kind of in hindsight, when I was 20, 21, was that he never seen me play in college. He never seen me play in college in the league. I mean, he did from heaven, of course. But it was always like, throughout my entire career, I mean, my mother always had the moment where we were like, man, what if, if your father was here, he'd be going crazy. He'd be going absolutely crazy, Carrie. Do you understand? Like, just, I, I wouldn't be, he'd be here. He'd be here next to me. Like, can I talk to Carrie? Like, what Carrie talking about? I want to talk to Carrie for something like that. I'm in the middle, like, I'm doing something. Like, he would have been that dad. You know what I mean? First, I'd like to thank Victor for sharing that story with us and and having a little bit of therapy because I know it's difficult no matter how much time passes to talk about losing a parent. Suicide is a serious issue. Um, and I know that a lot of people, especially in our culture today, don't like to talk about it. It's taboo. But I thank Victor for being so candid. And on the other side of the break, I talked to him about life after football. So not only was he able to persevere, push through, still make it to the league after several, several traumatic circumstances. Um, he was there, he made it, he was successful, and he did it with a smile on his face the whole time. And it's that same smile uh, that keeps him employed in many different ways. So after the break, we talked to Victor Cruz about life after football. Every champion and carry champions to be a champion, a champion and carry champion and carry champion, a champion and carry champion and carry champion. Greatest, greatest in sports and entertainment, connected with. State Farm Insurance gets it. Representation alone doesn't equate to authenticity. State Farm understands and wants to help protect our communities by investing in our future, building off the hard work our parents have done before us. We all are looking to create generational wealth so that our families and generations behind us have a better starting point than we did. That begins with financial literacy. State Farm helps fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of Black and Brown youth. To date, participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarships offers as a direct result of contributions from State Farm. At Eating Wallbrook, we hear inspiring rags-to-riches stories on each episode from our guests, but with State Farm, you can begin to write your own success story. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is uncanny usa he says somebody's in the house and i screamed listen to uncanny usa wherever you get your bbc podcasts if you dare are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh 
Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Every champion and carry champions to be a champion. A champion and carry champion. Hey girl, you did it. Got a champion and carry champion and carry champion. Greatest, greatest in sports and entertainment. Get naked, we're Hey, everybody. Thank you for listening and staying with us. I know you want to hear more from Victor Cruz. Pay attention. I was thinking that as you said it, and I, because your story is still so incredible, and I don't think you really even can understand it. You do, but you don't. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you do, but you don't. You understand what you've accomplished is unheard of. You understand that <clears throat> you, some would say you outkicked your coverage and, and, and ran with the ball and did everything. Give me every cliche I can think of. Mm-hmm. but the mental fortitude to come back after your father commits suicide, wake you up instead of push you the other way and decide to be better in school and apply yourself and feel like that you, and, and see the man that you need to be. Then challenge after challenge, you get to the league and he can't necessarily see you play visually. He's not right there, but in heaven, you know, he's, he's watching you. When you have your breakout moments, <clears throat> when you're like, I made it, and you felt secure when you were on the team, how did that feel? How did that sit in your spirit? Uh, that that security of being on a football team and being the guy and being the whole the whole thing. I mean, that felt great, especially to do it in my own backyard, to do it with my friends and family in the stands, to do it, you know, in the way that I wanted to do it. I truly got to do it. The way I wanted to, and and and, um, and that was the best part is the fact that I got to represent myself. I got to even, you know, as a byproduct, represent my culture through it all as mm-hmm. well. Um, there was just so many layers of it that I got to experience with the fans and with my teammates and with the game of football in general. That it will forever be tied to my life and who I am as a as a person. That those moments on the football field and those moments of Security, especially. That's a key word because you're a different guy on a football team. You got some security. You're talking different. You're moving around a little different. You know, those first two years when I was a free agent, just moving around, trying to figure out where all the bathrooms were, um, I, was, I, was, I wasn't talking the same as I was in year six. You know what I mean? Well, so, yeah, let's talk about this. When the first two years, you're a free agent. I'm not getting into your money. I don't want to. It's none of my business, but I will get into it a little bit. I ain't got money. June 14, 2013, you sign a one-year deal for $2.879 million, restricted free agent tender. July 8, 2013, you sign a five-year, $45 million deal. That's a contract extension. Let's talk about that. How'd that feel? I mean, that in the was, moment, don't compare it to what people are making now, but in that moment. Yeah, no, that was a big deal in that moment, kids. I know you've seen all this money flying around now. <laughs> like the old, like the old Benjamin Button. like. You know? <laughs> but yeah, like that was, 
that was one of those moments for me that was like, wow, like not only did I come here in my backyard with the Giants, a team, a stadium that I've driven past a hundred times in my life, you know what I mean? Like growing up where I did in Patterson, like, like seeing that stadium, respecting the game, going there for summer jam concerts, like all of that is a part of my childhood, a part of my youth. Like, so to go there, play the game at the highest level, make an impression on not only the fans, but the organization enough to where they felt like I needed to be a part of the fabric of this, of this team and put me in the lineage of all the other receivers that they've, that they've given money to and given extensions to, and they've put that kind of trust into. Um, it was just humbling. I still have a video. I remember the video of me driving to go sign the contract, and, you know, it's like, man, finally did it. This is good for everybody. It's kind of like, you know, we're saving that one for the documentary, you know, the, the second part. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I just remember that being like, it was just a big deal. And I remember taking a photo. I took a photo outside of the uh, – the Giants building in front of the NY logo. And I remember that being like uh, the mama I made it moment and uh, understanding that now I got to, I got to step my game up and do things on a higher level now. Did you cry? Um, I didn't cry. I think I was just so excited and just, I was just the angst. I was just anxious to like start and be a leader and like, you know, and, and buy a Ferrari and like do all these different things. <laughs> Powder blue or no? No, it was black on black. Oh, okay, okay. Black on black. Smooth. Yeah. <laughs> so, you're full. Do you cry? <laughs> when do you cry, more specifically? I, I do. It's funny you ask that because even when I, you know, when my dad passed away, um, I didn't cry at the funeral. Mm. And I don't really understand why I kind of was, I wanted to. It was like, but it just wasn't there for some reason. And I was just like, I was more so concerned about how I'm going to take care of everyone and like how I'm going to like, you know, how am I going to live without calling him or without him being president? Like I was thinking about so many different things. It wasn't until I shot a documentary with Showtime and they literally asked me, hey, how does it feel? You know, how does losing your dad make you feel? And I was like, wait, what? Hold on. Like no one's ever asked me that. Like, hold on, I need a second. And I answered the question. I think I answered it. I kind of stumbled through it or tried to get through it, but they could tell because right after that, Gotham, Gotham Chopra, who directed it, great director. He's incredible. I know um, him. Don't name drop. I know him too. And he, um, <laughs> he, go, he looks around the joint. He goes, I think we need to take a break now. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And I kind of got up and I was kind of overwhelmed, but I wasn't crying yet. And then like, boom, it all just, it all just hit me. Even the other day, you know, it's crazy with my dad. It's, it's, uh, the other day, I carry this, his obituary, like his, his, uh, his thing from the funeral, I carry it with me everywhere. Really? It, Why it, is that? I don't know. I just kind of started doing it. I found it um, a couple of years ago when I was moving, and I just found it, and I was like, I want to just keep this little piece of him close to me. So, and with that, I keep a letter that he wrote to me as well. Mm-hmm. And I found it by accident. And I was just moving through things. And I was like, oh, let me read this. And I started to read it. And you know how when you read something and you hear his voice? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Nah, bro, it was like, I couldn't even get through the first sentence. It was just, mm-hmm. it was just over. Like I started bawling and Brie, you know Brie, obviously. She walks in the room, in the bedroom, she walks in the room and she's like, hey, we about to leave. Are you crying? <laughs> 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 it was like two o'clock in the afternoon. We moving around, trying to move and shake, you know? 
And uh, she was like, are you crying? I was like, yeah, but like, <laughs> I just read it and I just think it was over. And I was, you know, it was just one of those moments that I was just like, man, you hear his voice. And I couldn't even, I, I couldn't even finish the, the letter. You know what I mean? Do you put it in your wallet? Where do you have it? Where's this letter? I put it, you know, in the, um, in the, in your carry on, there's a, a little zipper with the net that you can just kind of lay it flat in there. So I kind of keep it in my carry-on. Whatever carry-on I'm, I'm using, I'll just swap it and put it into that one, make sure it's with me at all times. Paraphrase it for me. Do you, can you paraphrase it? Do you know anything in particular? Does this On the letter? Oh, the letter yeah. wasn't good. The letter wasn't good. It was, a, uh, it was a time where he let me borrow his car, and I was out. The story is way too long. I, I ended up in New York at a dip set video with a homie, whatever. I come back late. He's calling me, blowing me up. Like, hey, where's the car? Where's the car? I'm like, I'm on my way back. It just so happens I'm like in southern Manhattan. So it's going to take me quite some time to get back. But he's blowing me up. Like, and now I'm scared. Like, he's yelling at me. And like, you know what? I'm not about to see this man. So I put his car in his driveway. I open up the keyhole, dump the key in his mailbox. And I begin to walk. And if anybody knows, he lives in Passaic, New Jersey. And I lived in Patterson, New Jersey. And if I were to walk all the way from his house to my house, it probably would have taken anywhere from 10 to 12 hours. Easily. Yikes. Yeah, it was far. Walking at least. Yeah, no um, Uber at that time. Exactly. So obviously, naturally, what a young kid does, I call my mother. She gets in the car with my younger sister. She picks me up. <laughs> so she picks me up, but he sends me a letter the next day saying how, you know, just being respectful and like, if I give you keys in your hand as a man, don't you, you're supposed to give them back to me as a man. It was very reprimanding. So it wasn't even like this positive letter where he was great. And I think even that kind of says something because that's kind of like of all the things I choose to keep is his obituary with his face, his picture, and a letter of him kind of scolding me and reprimanding me for not bringing his car back, you know, like a man, essentially, instead of scouring and not being you know, up front mm. about where I was and what I was doing. You know what I mean? That's powerful, though. Do you yeah, even know powerful. what that says? That's I, powerful. I, I, I'm actually, as I'm saying it to you, I'm realizing, like, wow, why do I, why do I even keep that, of all things? You know what I mean? It's him telling you how to be a man. Yeah, I think that's, like, my rule. It's, like, my one guideline or my rule book to, like, okay, you know this is here. This is how, this is the, the foundation to becoming a man is, being held accountable for your actions. If someone gives you something, you give it back to them in their hands and you're respectful and they respect you even more as a man because of it, no matter the circumstances, you know? Wow, that's powerful. Wow, who knew we was getting this deep on Naked with Carrier Champion, huh? That's what we do. We, we go there without even knowing we go in there. But just oh. think about that. I, I mean, for me, if I lose a loved one and no one writes letters anymore, but... That would mean everything to me. That would be that would be a, a letter on him saying for me it, how to live my life. Like just a, just the foundation of being a man, especially in our community. You know, father to son. Yeah. You wrote your daughter a letter. How old is your daughter now? Oh, she's nine years old. What would the letter say? Oh man, I think if I wrote Kennedy a letter, um, I think I'd tell her just to always be strong, always use wisdom. Oh, you understand, you know, what's right and what's wrong. You understand, like, the morals and, and what good character is. Um, and just hold that tight. Hold on to the people you love. Tell them you love them when, you, when, you know, when they're around. Remind them all the time because I promise you 
you know, you don't know tomorrow's not promised and you want to live in the day, live in the moment. Um, but always just be smart and understand who you are and never change for anyone or anything or anybody for any reason, you know, stay true to yourself and who you are and you'll get far, far in life. How does she remind you of you? <sighs> in every way. And like, and, and it's just, you know, it's, it's just, it's annoying because when I reprimand her, I'm looking at myself and I was like, I was like this. And I would, my mother used to reprimand me and I used to be, you know, I used to have the same reactions, the whole thing. She laughs like me. So we can't even laugh. We have these laughing contests because we laugh about something that's funny. And then we realize that we laugh the same. And then now we're laughing at the fact that we laugh the same. So it's just like a whole cycle of laughing. So that's, that's one thing. And her personality, she's like, her sense of humor is incredible. She's obviously the only child. So she's been around adults forever so her, her humor is very mature <laughs> and, um, and it's just funny. It's just, it's just fun, man. I, I'm having real conversations with her now. You know, we golf together now. As soon as I get back to Jersey, we hitting these, we hitting these greens and, and, and getting back after it. So we, um, we just have fun together. It's like really having a conversation with a young adult and she's only nine, but she's so mature and growing so fast and has so many questions um, that I got to be on my P's and Q's and answer those in the way that, you know, is beneficial for her. Because kids will ask you some honest stuff. Yeah. Uh, uh, like, you'll be like, wait a second, do I answer that? Do you tell her the truth or do you dance around the truth in certain things no, that you don't want to answer? I tell her the truth. Uh, I tell her the truth, especially because in this day and age, I want you to get it from me. Like, I want you to get this information from your father or your mother or the people that care about you and love you so you don't have any surprises when you're out there in the street. So there's no... I want to give you all the tools so when these things arise and they come up, um, you'll have a plan. You'll have an exact plan on what to do and how to combat these things and be like, oh, yeah, my father told me about that. Okay, this is how I'm going to handle that. You know what I mean? Like, you have all the tools in your arsenal to be successful. So that's the one thing I want to instill in her. And she's, it's almost time for her, the whole monthly thing that she goes through. No! No, too soon. You got to talk about that? You, you talk to your daughter about I, that? I don't have to talk about that. Her mother's already had those conversations <laughs> with her. I'm my, my only comment when it when it strikes, my only conversation with her will be, it better look like you I don't want to see a remnant. Oh, of, get out of here. You boy. No, I'm talking about like in the garbage, that type of stuff. Like I want you to be clean and sanitized. Oh, okay. Okay. okay yeah, yeah, yeah. I you, like, yeah, of course. Well, she's gonna know to do that. Understand that this is like a thing where you need to be extra clean and sanitary and sanitary about all of this stuff and be clean about it. That's well, what. first and foremost, you've never had a period. Agreed. But I've grown up around <laughs> women. I've grown up around women. You know how many times I open the toilet seat and you're like, oh, oh stop okay. it. Oh, like, stop it. Oh, stop it. Stop it. That is not. You grew up around them, but a grown woman, like women you date, women you've lived with before, they don't do that. They don't do what exactly? Leave things in the toilet? Wait a second. I'm going to fight you. I'm gonna, <laughs> this conversation this conversation just was like you trying to tell me you've been with women that you have dated and they left a tampon in the toilet uh yeah accidentally what are we, ta what are we talking about here no that's not possible 100 percent. i'm not proud of it this is in my younger years like <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah but i don't want you 
and this is just the woman, and you're and and her mother will say this too. Don't make her feel ashamed about having a period because it's just a natural cycle of life, right? Absolutely, Absolutely. it just happens. You're just saying, clean up after yourself. Okay. You sound like, by the way, you sound like a five-year-old. You sound like, this is when the bougie, this is when the bougie, yeah, but this is when the bougie and you come out. No. That's when you, you know you're, and and I agree with everything you're saying, but you know you're hecka particular. I am very particular. (laughs) I am very You have to give her some grace if she makes a mistake. Okay. She gets a grace period, of course, as, as as all kids should in the beginning. Why are you so particular? I don't know. I just think it's, um... I think I get it from my mom, to be honest. Like, my mother was the mom that came in, came home and was like, why are all the lights on? Turn the lights off. Why you got dishes in the sink? Why is it dirty in here? I don't know how y'all could be in a dirty house. Uh, and just like, and he just like, for her, for her to come home and not do all those things, I had to bust the dishes down. I had to, like, make sure the house was to her liking so that when she came home, she could just chill and not be on us. You know what I mean? Like, okay. so I think that, that carried over to just how I am overall. And how I am, like, with everything that I kind of do. You know what I mean? Would you, with, with a son, would you be like, okay, when you start having sex or when you start doing whatever you're doing in the bed at night, I don't want to see no remnants. Sheets better be clean. Would you do this? Yeah. Would you tell him that? Absolutely. I don't want no sticky socks. Like, get this <laughs> together, okay? I need you to get yourself together. <laughs> I need okay. you to get yourself together, sir. <laughs> I need you to get yourself. I do not like you. <laughs> really, yo? Like, it's all about, like, just moving even keels out here, man. Okay. So with that being said, and, and how particular <laughs> you are, <laughs> I adore you. With that being said, and how particular you are, do you find it hard to to date and i'm not talking about past relationships but just in general do you look for things wrong with women i don't look for things wrong per se i think i look i think i look for all the things that are right and then the wrong things kind of appear i don't say wrong things but things that you may not like or things that may not be you know to your liking in in your significant other but i don't i'm not walking around looking for the negatives like all right Tell me what you don't. Well, tell me all the negatives about you. Like, I want to know the positives, and then we can work our way backwards. But visually, I'm asking. Ooh. Oh, visually, that's a different. That's right. Yeah, because I because the the stuff about knowing who they are comes. You know, but visually, I I'm under the impression that you'll be I'm like particular visually. Yes, correct. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> this is the part I don't like about you. <laughs> I just want to confirm that for the people. <laughs> Wait, what did you say? Say that again. <laughs> so I just want to confirm that for the people. I am particular. Everyone has a particular sense of what they like and what they don't like. There's nothing wrong with that. What if you meet? Like, to me, you ever remember that movie, uh, Something About... No, 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 no. It wasn't Something About Mary. It was... Shallow Hal? I don't know. I know yes. You, you already knew I was about to I call you Shallow Hal. I know where you're Yo. going. <laughs> I know where you're... I did the research for you. You remind me of <laughs> Shallow Hal's homeboy. That is bra walk in and she, he didn't like the way her pinky toe was shaped and he was like, I'm out. I can't. It's disgusting. I don't know why I'm like that, man. I mean, I'm not as particular as a oh, it might be, you know. No, uh-uh. You, yeah, you are. So maybe you think. Um, but I, I'm just, it's just the way I am. I don't know. If I see something that feels off to me or something that's like 
a deal breaker in terms of like exterior, how I'm looking or something external. Like it just is what it is. I don't know. I just, you don't even know what a deal breaker is. You can have a perfect looking woman from top to bottom and you don't like the way she walks and you're like, Ooh, yeah. I don't know. You knock me the pigeon toe. I'm, I, that's not I, my thing. I'm not talking about knock need. I'm just saying maybe she has a different type of gait in which you don't find attractive, but you still can't ignore that because like body could be banging. I'm thinking of anything. I mean, I'm, I'm like, I'm like put together the perfect woman and she puts everything together, all the pieces and places and all the stuff you want. And then she has a purse that's dirty. And I can see you being like, Ooh, she pulled out a white purse that had some lipstick stains on it. I'm out. I'm not that. Pret- I mean, maybe, but I'm not that. Pret- <laughs> No, that I mean, means- I just think you just have to be kept. Like, I like a woman that's well kept, that smells nice, that has nice teeth, that likes to get manicures and pedicures on a consistent basis. I'm not that difficult. Why are you? I, it doesn't sound like a lot that you're asking for, but you're talking, that's basics, but that's not what it is with you. The, you want more than the basics, and no. you're not being honest, and you're not no. being honest on naked. No, what I'm saying is. Yes, I want all those other things, but on the foundational level, I just want you to to take care and be well kept. I I shouldn't see a a chip. There should never be a chip in your toenail polish. Like you should be. I mean, grand things happen. Put your foot in your shoe. You get it chips. It is what it is. But it should never look disheveled. You should never look disheveled because I don't, so, I don't want to look. I don't look disheveled. What if, what if somebody doesn't like something on you? I think what you're it's actually doing... I'm not that type of person. I can take it as much as I can give it. And you know that. Always. Yeah, that's true. But I think it's also a reflection on how you treat yourself. Do you understand what I'm saying? I said, what you require in a woman seems like it's a reflection of how you feel about yourself. Wow. That was, that's extremely accurate. Because I do feel like when I see myself dating a person, you know, I automatically go to... Like, what's this person look like, you know, side, at, you know, on my arm at a red carpet event? Like, what, how, does, how do they look next to me in a car when we're pulling up to, you know, wherever? How do they look next to me walking down the street as a couple? I just, I, I look at that and I think about that and I think about, can I do that? Are we going to get the, you know what I mean? Like, I think about all those things. And if I don't envision that or if that vision doesn't, you know, resonate with me, then not that it's not that it's a deal breaker, but it's just it's going to take more time to get there if if we open that door. What does your therapist say about that? Because that sounds like a lot of yeah, pain. we're working through that part. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's an area uh, that she circled. She circled that yeah. I, with a red marker. Yeah, we'll that. come back to that. Yep, yep. Because I know you, and if someone's listening and they don't know you, this sounds very vain. Men will agree with you 100%. I hear men, especially in my business, especially with all the athletes. Oh, women get that too. Don't you look at a man and, you're t- and you guys are talking and you guys are being, you know, t- hanging out. The minute you see him, you, don't you go through those thoughts of, you know, okay. what do I look like on his arm? What do I look like? No, I don't even, I, I just think I'm the bomb and he would be lucky to have me and I'm, I'm the shit. And if I'm on his arm, he winning. But let me tell you what we do. The, the visual. You can envision like, oh, could you marry this man at some point? Yeah, of course. Yes, yes. You have, yeah, but it doesn't have anything to do with things that turn me off. Because normally, I, I, we're attracted to what we, if I even, if we're dating and I like you, the attraction is there, right? So if they're, if, if I'm visualizing even in more than that, that's where the, the, the inside work has to come in, whether I have to spend time with you. But I'm going to tell you a true story. And this is something I know that you would have been a deal breaker for you. Okay. 
I went out with this guy, very famous, very well known. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying any names. And he was fine as all get out, like super fine. And we had an intimate moment and I was getting ready to lay down and go to sleep. And he was like, oh, FYI, I snore and fart in my sleep. Come on, Carrie. You would have been turned off by that. He didn't say this to you. On every single thing that I love. Before bed? But why, why wait before bed? Oh, because it's about to go down. Man. No, uh, but, but why tell me that? Like, yeah. is that not a turn off? I mean, well, well, would you rather him not tell you and then you <laughs> and then you and you wake up like no. My point being is is that I ignored it and I tried to make him feel fine about it, and I was like, if anybody knew that you said that or talk like that, like people watch you all the time and probably think you just shit, and if they knew this, they would be completely turned off. Yeah. I, however, am an adult. And I just pressed on and I made a joke and pretend like it wasn't. How bad was it though? Can I he didn't, no, he, no, he didn't. He, he didn't. He probably was like nervous about it. He didn't do uh, it. He was just giving like, me a. a you act a little funny when you're in the bed. Get a little no, different. no. He was giving me just a heads up in case it went down. But if a woman said that to you, you'd be like, you got to go. Like the night would be over. You'd be like, oop, got to go. I'm like, right? oh, I gotta catch a train. I just forgot all about the train that I gotta go. That's catch. how vain you are. You have to get past that work. That's you said if Holly, if Holly Berry said to you while y'all in bed, "Hey, you know what? Just FYI, Man. before we go to sleep, I fart." Berry at these Oscars these last couple of days, bro. I don't even want it. <laughs> I don't even want. I love you. I don't even want it right now. Okay. 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 J Lo. Oh, that's different. Hold on. What's the question again? Repeat the question. So J-Lo, I, the mad shade to Hallie. Yeah. This is how particular he is, guys. J-Lo comes to you and J-Lo says, you know what, babe, just before I go to bed, FYI, I don't, I don't know if it's going to happen, but I may fart and I do snore in my sleep. Is that okay? You snoring, say what? Deal with. The snoring, I don't have a problem with because I snore occasionally as well. The farting could be problematic. <laughs> The farting could be problematic because that'll wake me up out of my sleep. And then like, does it stink or is it just sound? It's just too much. (laughs) I don't know. It's too much. It's too much for me. I I feel like we've come to a place in our lives to be a bit picky about what we want and what we don't want. Wait a second. So you kicking J-Lo out of bed if she farts? You're saying, J-Lo, you should pack your things and go home? I don't want to be here. I may see if I can survive a night, but... Even if you can survive a night, would you want to hang out with her again? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean it depends on the severity. If I, it, how many times did she, you know, it's just <laughs> a little benefit of the doubt, okay? She gets a little bit more leeway. She gets a little bit more leeway here. Wait a second. Did you just say it depends on how many times she farts? You're yeah. going to start breaking down. Over under five farts a night. Okay, so if she does over or under five farts, you can stay. Under five. Under five, I'm staying. If two stink, do you stay? Ooh, two out of the five? Uh-huh. Ooh, that's a good one. Because if it wake me up out of my sleep, good Lord. Oof. Uh, Oof. 
two out of five. Yeah, that's a deal. I can't do it. It's that's too much. <laughs> Wait, so okay, I just want to make sure we're clear. You're leaving J Lo if she farts in the bed and two of the five farts stink. Do you see how particular you are and how ridiculous you sound? That's what I wanted to get to. <laughs> When you have too much milk, you know, and it's just nasty, and whole milk too, not oat milk, whole milk. That's not good. I can't do it. But what it sounds like is that you're a guy that doesn't use the bathroom in front of his girlfriend. Oh, I use the bathroom for my girlfriend. <sighs> well, when I have a girl, when I have a girlfriend. Absolutely. Are you kidding? Super comfortable with that. Why, does that and, you, and you won't let J-Lo fart in the bed twice? That's different. We're asleep. We're supposed to be going to bed, and you're letting <laughs> no, out. It's not different. You're it's letting out gaseous acid out of your. Like, what are we doing here? Okay. <laughs> okay. This conversation is ridiculous. The point uh, of the point, as I get ready to let you go, the point is, is that you are very, very particular, if not shallow, and that has a deeper reflection to do with who you are. And I wonder wonder dear friend because god i love you so much and you make me laugh and you are charming and you are all of those things <laughs> you are seriously the you ever huh what'd you say other people say it. i don't say it. <laughs> do you ever um wonder why you are the way you are like I, I i have a feeling that you talk to yourself a lot i do it was funny i was watching cameron on drink champs have you watched that yet and you know how he says he goes in the mirror and like reminds himself of who he is every day about, and I do that same thing, but not in vain. It's just like, you just have a conversation. It's like, even this morning, like I'm a little psycho, not psycho, but I'm a little psycho, right? So I wake up, I read the rundown for today's daily pop show. And I really treat it like a game. I get up and I'm like, ah, get in the mirror. And I'm just like, okay, let's go. Like I'm ready for the day. You know, you're ready to conquer the day. You're going to be that guy. You're going to put these clothes on. You're going to feel good in your skin. You're going to be on that TV representing your mother, your father, your grandmother, your heritage. Every, every time I open my mouth, I'm representing all of them. And, 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 that, and that drives me and that motivates me every single day to do what I do. And I think that in, in culmination with the things that I've been through in my entire life, you know, the ups, the downs, the trials and tribulations, losing family members, having to rise up instead of fail, you know, choosing to, you know, going to community college twice, being embarrassed, coming back home to Patterson. Dude's looking at me crazy, going back to school, achieving my dream, making the leap. Like all these different things really help shape who I am and appreciate my journey where I came from and still be able to enjoy the fruits of it too and, and elevate my professional career and, and elevate my family life as well. Who are you the most honest with? Who are you the most vulnerable, most naked with? Who sees you? I mean, for all that you are. I think it's my, I mean, my mother without a shadow of a doubt. I mean, there's, I speak to her every day. There isn't a single topic or thing that we don't talk about. Um, I'm just like honest with her. She gives me brutally honest feedback and, and, you know, she's a little biased, obviously, because she's my mother, but I know it's real and I know it comes from a place of wisdom and what she's been through and like, and, and I always respect her opinion. And I think she just knows me inside and out before I could even finish a sentence or finish a thought, she already knows what I'm thinking. And like, and she could always, she could already think three steps ahead of what I'm thinking, you know? So she like knows me to the point, you know, uh, she could be blindfolded and pick me out of a crap. What does Victor Cruz want to do next? I hate the third person conversation, but how do you see yourself evolving for the better? If you could 
if you could say, I really got to work on this, which you already know what it is. What, what does that look like for you? Um, I think I have to work on, I think it's just, you know, maintaining better friendships and, and just, I mean, not that I have any bad friendships, but I think I do a bad job of kind of maintaining all of them and, and watering all of them, you know, and also being mindful of my own space. I can't spread myself too thin and be with a hundred people, but there's some people that have been in my life a long time that deserves a little bit more watering than others. And, um, and just being better at that and being better at, you know, you know, having, spending more time with my friends and, and making more memories and more memorable moments. Because like I said, life is short, you know, and, and even my close circle of friends, we've seen so many people around us come and go, both our age, older, younger, from all walks of life. Um, and, and they understand how short life is. And I think we, have uh you know we've come a long way all of us and, and i want to continue to nourish those relationships and those friendships that have been there forever well you've nourished this friendship thank you so much for being on the podcast and you are the best okay i really appreciate you thank you Jerry. Victor Michael Cruz joining us on Naked. I hope you guys enjoyed that as much as I did. I got to be honest, that was one of my favorites in terms of how funny it was because I get a sense of humor. Um, I think that when people are like Victor, talented, smart, uh, things seemingly come easy, but they don't. He's very much a perfectionist. He works hard. He wants to take care of his family. He wants to take care of his friends. He wants to make sure that he's doing the right thing. And all of that is illustrated in his relationships and his work relationships and how he moves in this world. He'll never be the guy who big times you, right? He's never the guy to be like, I don't know who you are, I'm famous, I'm famous, I don't know who you are. Um, and I feel that way deep down in my soul about who he is. When I'm around him, he makes me just laugh. And it's not a gushing podcast. Like, I don't want you to think I got a crush on him because he's too shallow for me. But I am gushing in the sense that it's always good to see a black man in the world who is successful and winning and doesn't have this tough spirit about him. I'm not saying that's all black men, so don't, don't at me. But he is very light and he has an easiness about him. I think it's, it, I think, and I said this, Honestly, to my uh, producer Trouble, it's easy for us to hold on to anger. It's a very familiar emotion, especially in our community. But with Victor, um, his familiar emotion, right, his naked quality is happiness. You know, and I didn't say that until now because I just, just realized it. The familiar emotion, the more you know, easy emotion to grab to is to be angry and to show your anger and to release your anger on others. But it takes a lot to just sit and be happy and be in your own skin and enjoy who you are no matter what happens. You look at his life, none of it has been easy. His father commits suicide while he's in school, couldn't see him actually, actually make it to the league. He gets to the league, not only is he undrafted free agent and, and no one would have thought that he would have had the career he had, he then becomes one of the faces of the New York Giants. That is a storied franchise in the NFL. And people know Victor Cruz because not only did he play his heart out, he added a little extra happiness by doing the salsa in the end zone. That made him even more popular and that's just true who he was and he was just doing his thing. I'm doing the salsa right now, but y'all can't see it. Trouble can see it because we're on Zoom. I enjoyed him. I hope you did too. 
I challenge you much like I challenge myself to enjoy the emotion of just being happy. How hard is that? Like choose happiness every single day over anger or whatever, or another a lazy emotion, you know? Something else we commonly do. Happiness. I feel happy. Thank you for listening to this edition of Naked with Victor Cruz. We don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.